0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rethink Energy podcast, where the Rethink Energy team talk about the technology behind this week's energy news. I'm your host once again, our automotive and battery analyst, Connor Watts, and this week I'm joined solely by our editor and hydrogen analyst, Barton Advermuter. Hello. As Andreas, is off doing something important, I'd imagine. This week, we're going to be talking about how... Worldwide Copper Supply has recently taken a pretty significant hit, with both First Quantum's Coble Panama mine running into some permitting issues from the Panamanian government, and Anglo-American reducing its projected output for 2024. And we're also going to look at Maeve Aero's plans to bring hybrid airplane into the fray, instead of going for a pure-play hydrogen or battery option. First of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about the copper side of things, which is looking quite bad over the course of maybe a week or two. Um, so first Quantum's Copper Panama mine has been effectively told by the Panamanian government to stop all operations. It cannot output, it cannot mine, it cannot function as of right now, because the Panamanian government has said so and this has came as a result of local protests which have been creating problems for the government or enough problems at least that the government has taken action against first quantum and this is one of the um, almost flagship new copper projects that was mm-hmm. planning to come online for 2024 and to continue outputting and this is a fairly significant fall in supply which the mine would usually output uh, I believe 400,000 tons per year and it is only expected to possibly come back into operation with a new government because at least politically speaking when you um, if a government decides to cancel a mine because it's unpopular or to pause its operations at the very least it's not going to do that right before an election and there was an election in the middle of 2024. So that's our expectation for us to win that. May or may not come online, but that's a significant removal of supply. The other side of this is that Anglo-American's projected copper reduction has been reduced by about 200,000 tons. It so did um, a couple other miners, I believe Rio Tinto's, but it was a far smaller reduction in output. Anglo-American has blamed a geotechnical issue at one of its mines. Overall, this totals about 600,000 tons of copper supply, which is a lot. It's um, enough to largely neutralize any gains from this year.
1: So Connor, do you think that this event will uh, make other companies or investors reluctant to open up mines or invest into mining
0: projects? From a pure economic perspective, when somebody else isn't investing in something or if supply isn't being added to something where demand is expected to increase significantly, it will likely bring more people in. It'll bring more people into larger production. But mm. that's not realistic considering the timescales we're talking about with regards to mine development. And so we can't really expect that. The main thing that we're looking at here is that, uh, what well, is interestingly, i um, Anglo-American. So um, it's share price as of year to date is down a whopping 48%, which is pretty dire from the perspective of any company, let alone a global mining house during the energy transition. Hmm. And so there's questions to be raised about leadership because this has all kind of happened since the instating of a new CEO. And also with regards to commodity mix as to what it is Anglo-American is pursuing. It's pursuing some particularly interesting things that don't necessarily have a significant market as of yet. And so it's going for the future as opposed to the present. But its share price being down 48% brings onto the current the possibility of acquisition. So that's a fairly significant development going on in the mining sector now of if there is further consolidation, which the mining industry tends to kind of lend itself towards. Um, we could see Anglo-American disappear, uh, very much a mainstay of the London Stock Exchange. So how much how much
1: money do you think Anglo-American is, is losing with this? I would have to do a, a little situation. bit more research,
0: but it's uh, not particularly good. I believe its profit is still reasonably good. It's not making an active loss. Hmm. The main problem here exactly. is just in opportunity cost, and when it comes to solving the geotechnical issue at one of its copper mines, that will be mm-hmm. running it, um some additional costs as well. But yeah, I I can tell you.
1: Yeah, so I guess they'll have to basically make a decision based on what will be Uh, the best outcome in terms of do we pull the plug on this mine or do we actually fix the issues, can we fix fix the issues, and how much money will we lose until
0: Yeah, exactly. I believe they are looking into um, investing more money into the mine to be able to fix it and to be able to bring it back into production or back into the production that it used to be. But at at the moment, it's, uh, well, that takes time more than anything so it's opportunity cost of not being able to produce it's the additional investment cost of having mm-hmm. to fix the problems that, are, that have arisen well which is generally just a risk of mining when you practice a mine you don't know if the um if the asset is going to be 100 fault-proof and it's quite rare that they are often mines will just experience a setback and, and recover through f- additional investment and it's just almost added on to the capex as a as a bit of a top-up. Mm. <clears throat> the other side of this is that copper prices have been very, very low recently. And this threatens that because most analysts and most uh, people watching commodities were expecting a minor surplus in 2024 and a continued surplus on what has already occurred in 2023. But this was on the back of expansions in supply from the likes of... Cobra Panama and from Anglo-American and Anglo-American's reduction is fairly significant it's 200,000 tons per year and Mm -hmm. that is likely an indicator for higher prices but when it comes to overstocking and how reliable that's going to be based on the peak periods of consumption particularly in china i believe inventory levels of copper concentrate in china are reaching progressively lower lows and will start to become problematic within the first or second quarter of next of next year but anyways that's um that's what's been happening recently with copper um mave Aero. aerospace. Yeah, aerospace um what is it exactly that mave aerospace is doing with regards to hydrogen airplanes
1: yeah, so well, with regards to hydrogen uh, airplanes, nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, they uh, are bringing a hybrid, um, jet fuel and battery, um, short to medium haul, uh, jet, well, turboprop, um, like uh, aircraft to the market, and this is an interesting one. So we have a Dutch startup on our hands here. To just give a bit of context. For those who are not known on the aviation industry, that's a, the big debate right now is, uh, is it gonna go hydrogen? Is it gonna go sustainable aviation fuel? Is it gonna go hydrogen electric? Is it gonna go hydrogen combustion, etc. Batteries don't see really well in this picture, mostly because of energy density. They can't really compete with uh, liquid hydrogen or sustainable aviation fuel in range. So there's not a lot of point on, um, in investing and uh, iterating and designing battery-powered aircraft uh, for just really short haul, uh distances when you know degradation uh, will limit the amount of flights you'll be able to do the replacement of the battery will increase the cost and, and etc so there's no point investing into that just for a really niche kind of like short really short um portion of the market when hydrogen Can do that and much more go all the way into medium and if you're talking about hydrogen combustion go all the way into long haul Um, and then when we're talking about obviously hydrogen just to confirm they do reduce carbon emissions obviously hydrogen electric reduces carbon and uh, nox emissions hydrogen combustion reduces only carbon but with the aid of certain catalysts those nox emissions can be mitigated to a relatively high degree <clears throat> so the reduction in harmful emissions uh is substantial when we're talking about sustainable aviation fuel obviously the whole premise of sustainable aviation fuel is that the, the fuel is essentially no different than kerosene and fossil-based kerosene but it's just uh manufactured through recycling of carbon um through different means, waste is probably the most uh, the one with the most potential. So you take essentially a hydrocarbon, organic in the form of organic matter uh, from um, agricultural waste or just household waste, etc. Any type of waste, uh, combine it with uh, green hydrogen through sort of a process called hydrogenation, and you end up with a with a with a hydrocarbon that is essentially kerosene, but it's synthetically made. Um, and the whole premise of sustainable aviation fuel is that it displaces emissions. So yes, when you burn sustainable aviation fuel, you still emit during the flight, but then you, the premise is that you don't allow the waste, which contributed to its creation, to rot and then contribute that way to uh, climate change or greenhouse gas accumulation. In the so atmosphere. with
0: regards to this um, hybrid battery, I apologize for the earlier gaffe um how is what's the functionality of this is this similar to a hybrid battery in a car where it's an electric drive train or
1: yes essentially essentially it's very similar to to a hybrid car so they still have a fuel tank uh, which will be supplied with aviation fuel and they also have a battery and both will contribute to uh, the rotating motion of the shaft and the propellers to propel the, um, the aircraft. Um, so that reduces uh, emissions. They, they claim, um, a 40% or something like that. Uh, irrespective of the numbers there's, there's a reduction in, uh, in, uh, in emissions. The interesting thing here to point, because I don't really see, to be honest, this company getting any with this, but I'm still yet to talk to them. I have reached out by the way, if on the off chance, nivera space are listening we are waiting to talk to you um but i don't see them personally in a good spot mainly because the timeline is 2023 uh 20 uh sorry uh 2030 2031 rather uh for their first uh, model to enter service um and that's just a bit uh, too far out there considering that only about a month ago virgin atlantic did their first um Europe to uh, America, to North America, flight on a 100% sustainable aviation fuel. That was the first transatlantic 100% sustainable aviation fuel flight. And we see uh, government tenders released for flights um, around Scandinavia, looking at Denmark, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, for full hydrogen electric flights as soon as 2025 or 2026. So if you're looking at this hybrid um uh design and if we want to draw parallels to maybe hybrid cars and i'm sure Connor will be able to pitch in with a couple of comments there uh, the car industry saw hybrid car as a step towards full um electrification when infrastructure was I, wouldn't being played. Have, no, no, I wouldn't say that oh, so i'd say would...
0: that the. the uh, the automotive industry saw hybrid cars as a way to increase fuel efficiency. It kind of long predated the idea of going to um, uh, of a full kind of battery electric system. It's why we see companies like Toyota being incredibly dominant in the hybrid space, but also being utterly non-existent in the hmm. pure kind of battery electric vehicle space. You might be thinking of the right. plug-in hybrid um, side of things.
1: Well, yeah, obviously, in what cars there's a couple of different variations.
0: Just a point with regards to your um, speech with regards to batteries. I've been reading recently a uh, new report from the Rocky Mountain Institute, as they've recently changed their um, their forecasting mechanisms, and they produce well. They have a series called the Exchange series, which is very good. I would I would recommend it to most. And they uh, released yesterday or the day before it was exchange batteries and it goes into future battery trends in, the, in quite a lot of detail, not as much detail as I usually do, but at the same time, this is, a, it's a very comprehensive report with regards to total demand and historical trends and such. And it was an explanation of why they're changing their, um, their forecasting efforts away from the historical side of things and towards actually looking at the technologies and, effectively doing what we do so um it's just a good read and it explains exactly why it is and how it is that kind of battery energy densities will continue to increase recently um on with regards to aerospace and batteries as well um catl the largest um battery manufacturer in the world signed an agreement with an aerospace company. I do not remember which it's a smaller one for, um, the provision of incredibly high energy density batteries, I believe 500 watt hours per kilogram for use in an tall application. Um, you would be able to go into that a little bit more than I can, mm. but as of right now, batteries are completely insufficient from an energy density perspective, but given another 10 years, that question is changing just based on solid-state battery development and other technological developments and economies of scale, learning curves and such. So it. I think you are saying that it's not going to be close when it comes to the adoption of hydrogen, but I think that batteries will eventually be competing on a slightly more level playing field, it Just at which point power consumption for the larger planes and power delivery at the same time will come on to question as you mentioned the use of hydrogen ice
1: yeah i mean this this kind of supports my point because uh what i'm kind of like getting at is the timeline uh,
0: of. Operation. oh yeah exactly but then there's costs uh and the fact that
1: yeah for sure um and the fact that it's just a bit older they go sustainable aviation fuel plus battery it just seems to me like because no one else is really doing this, so. It seems to me like they saw a bit of an opening in the market. Nobody's really doing this. Let's put, put something that's unique, that's appealing. So you're saying that it's trying that's to compete kind of certain, with sustainable
0: so... Aviation Fuel as the kind of interim solution. When when SAF is already well, being I'm... a kind of um well, when it's already being supported and they're very much on their own. Um they very much. Well.
1: I'm not saying it's competing really with anyone in particular. I'm just saying they kind of saw an opening in the market and they said, let's just put out this product, which is uh, unlike anything else, Uh, because uh, let's face it, if you from an investor's point of view, if you've got a unique product, you'll get some backing and every startup needs funding to get off the ground. Whether it would actually work or not, that's that's another question. What I'm saying is, for the time, because I agree with you, in a couple of, in 10 years' time, batteries will be more competitive with hydrogen and whatnot. But if hydrogen had, from 2026 to 2031, uh, five years, to go through a lot of learning curve in terms of uh, electric power trains and aircraft, infrastructure, etc., etc., and only then solid-state batteries or whatever technologies might come in the battery uh, space, uh, they will be able to compete with hydrogen and then the level playing f- the, the the playing field won't be as skewed as it is today, it will be more level but hydrogen will still have advantages there uh, and potentially biofuels as well if they actually scale up and drop in price um, so I think it's a combination of the fact that I don't really see the point because what's really what's really the advantage here over a full sustainable aviation fuel powered aircraft if Sustainable aviation fuel displaces however many emissions it claims it it, it can displace anyway. So I don't really see the point of it. Uh, I don't think it adds anything to the market. Uh, And the timeline seems to be clear. enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, it's always a question of what it is that you're using to scale. Hydrogen is going to be using international freight and kind of energy transfer, intercontinental energy transfer, whereas batteries will be used in the automotive industry. As it's kind of springboard into mm. large production capacity and innovation, it's our job to say which one's going to be faster, more cost-effective. Not necessarily better, because the better technology doesn't always win. Anyways, let's move on to the uh, let's move on to a couple worth noting. to so try to keep this brief. So, something I found interesting uh, this week is that Brazil's CBMM, which has a long name in Portuguese, that I'm not going to try to pronounce. This is the, almost the sole producer of niobium oxide in um, industry. And they claim that since 2019, its demand for niobium products has increased by 500%. As a result of the battery industry recognizing that if you use niobium in place of cobalt, in the active material of high-nickel ternary batteries, um, it not only requires considerably less niobium, I believe it's between 0.5% and 1% of the cathode active material, relative to cobalt's roughly 10% or more. Um, It also, as a result of that, um, allows a company to increase the amount of nickel within the cathode, which is the material which is most impactful when it comes to determining the energy density of said cathode material. And that's not only... The fact that you can almost completely get rid of cobalt from your supply chain, which means you don't have to deal with artisanal mining in the DRC. And Niobium isn't going to be, well, it's incredibly concentrated within this one company, which is a pretty significant problem, but it's in Brazil, which comparatively speaking, it's a large improvement on the Congo, which is regularly, regularly ranked among the world's least um, stable countries and the least friendly to do business in. So it's possible that we already predicted that cobalt was going to become increasingly irrelevant in the battery market just because of the ESG concerns. However, Neobium is looking as if it's going to be taking its place and CBMM's um, monopoly over the market may be under threat as other companies look to um, take a piece of that pie. Hmm. So this
1: sounds like good news for which uh, sector? It's very good the, news for batteries, uh, automotive.
0: Yes. Just batteries, which feed into the automotive sector, because it means that countries, well, it means that companies don't have to build, don't have to deal with sourcing cobalt from the Congo or from Indonesia. Which Indonesia has become the second largest producer of cobalt, but it's still only maybe ten percent of global supply. Um, the Congo still produces the vast vast majority of it. Um, It's already been in a state of oversupply recently, which means the cost has gone lower. But even if the price of niobium is higher, because of the lower proportion of it in the cathode material and the ability to increase the rest of the cathode material with nickel, it's more cost efficient. Because you increase energy density, you are lowering the amount of cobalt, increasing the amount of nickel, where nickel is less expensive usually, and you're using a very, very small amount of niobium similar to the amount of manganese used. Even less than that. It's more, Neobium in this instance functions more like an additive. It's 0.5 to 1% of the active material. That's nothing. You see um, a company that I spoke to at an event recently produced, it was active material um, additives, and that required 2% of the material to be replaced with these additives. This is less than the amount of the additives to change the function of mm. the active materials. It's a significant jump, but it needs commercializing. And CBMM claims that this is going to be coming in 2024-2025. So cobalt may be even less, well, is looking to be even more of a short-lived supply problem than even we expected, which I said a year ago that it's not going to be problematic at all just because of changes in chemistries. So very good news for the environment, not so much for the earth. The art- traditional mines themselves, but from the company's perspective of having to deal with them and the ESG concerns uh, arise from that, it's a significant positive. Yeah, moving on. So, MYASK is set to deploy its first large methanol-enabled vessel, uh, which is built by Hyundai Heavy Industries. Um, What's happening there, brother?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, maritime shipment is looking to to decarbonize through a first step by using uh, methanol and then our prediction is that they will end up using ammonia long term uh but they uh, they prefer to burn methanol today because it takes uh, less modifications to the engines that they uh burn mm. uh, bunker fuel in today in order for those to be able to burn methanol there's a reduction in emissions but not fully you still get carbon emissions um, because methanol con- contains carbon later on when they'll burn ammonia they'll only uh release uh, nox emissions and hopefully those will be mitigated with catalysts but Merckx is leading the line in terms of um kind of like the carbonization strategies and actual tangible deliverables they are ordering a lot of methanol uh ready vessels um and they are uh putting a lot of money and effort behind uh, the methanol supply chain and uh, they recently entered into a partnership with a couple of other companies to produce um, about 11 million tons of methanol per year from 2030 all aimed at the shipping industry and that is green methanol uh, again coming from waste Um, and waste potentially on that topic that's uh, potentially going to uh, become problematic because uh, there's a couple of different industries maritime and aviation being the the main ones, which are looking at waste as a feedstock for their green fuels. Mm. Uh, so demand in that area will be potentially problematic. We're looking at, we're hoping that a lot of policies and governments will uh, will try and support the collection of agricultural waste and uh, otherwise uh, in order to support those industries. But there's a couple of kind of dominoes
0: in need to to fall in place for the whole uh, the right thing to work out. Policymakers to, work, to make the right decisions. That's mm. always a bit of a scary sentence to say. But um, I'd just like to end on a bit yeah. of news that I've just seen that isn't an issue. but um, Form Energy, the producers of the famous rust battery, the 100-hour systems, is launching a five megawatt, 500-megawatt-hour system in California and so that's mm. li- likely going to be used as a kind of disaster relief battery because we've done a fair amount of research on this recently and that it's um not particularly suitable for grid firming or um intermittency management but in the event of a wildfire or a natural disaster of some kind that's 3 days worth of storage for um uh, mm at least a few sets of households it's a pretty significant movement and it is going to slightly inflate the region's um capacity figures for installed energy storage but i'm sure california doesn't mind that and we'll end uh, this episode of the podcast here um this is going to be our final episode of the podcast for the year and so we'll see everybody in a new year but we also might see you uh next week for something a little bit special so, with that, let's like say goodbye and thank you all for listening.